Good morning. They tell us that yesterday was the greatest day of college football in the last 25 years. Yeah, man. Uh, on the way up this morning, sports talk, radio, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, if Alabama can't win, I'm, I'm sorry, man. How about those Aggies pulling the big upset? Big Texas OU game, the list goes on and on until midnight last night. They tell us, uh, especially uh, I heard the commentators talking about that Texas OU game, they said uh, it's going to be, and here's the, here's the two, two words, an instant classic. And for you that are like I am outside of college football season, all we've got to do is watch the reruns. And so when you're watching those, many times you'll hear this phrase that's used it's a phrase that's uh, kind of a, just a standby situation. They say, uh, they come out of a commercial and all of a sudden they say, uh, we have fast forwarded in this telecast. We have jumped ahead in this telecast. And so this morning, uh, I'm gonna ask you to do that as we go to Joshua chapter number 14. Uh, I say that with great uh, concern uh, because we are going to leave out about uh, 27 battles. Not all of them are discussed, but in chapter 10, 11, 12, uh, you have Northern Alliance of Kings, a great message that we could preach on caveman. I mean, there's incredible moments, but you'll have to buy the book a little later on to get all of that, all right? But today we're going to fast forward to one of my favorite chapters. When we started talking about Joshua, I said, we'll be there 15 weeks. And somebody said, oh, man, that's an eternity. That's too long. We'll get tired of Joshua. We could be in Joshua four years. There is just so much incredible meat here in the scripture. But today I want to talk to you about something very, very important. And that is a special spirit from a special man. A man that, as we began reading, is going to be noted as 85 years of age. As we unfold uh, this incredible part of the book of Joshua, it's, it's really relating about the life of Caleb. And I'm going to invite you with me this morning to grab your Bibles, and we're going to begin reading in verse number six. I'll read down through most of the end of the chapter. All these verses hang together in this narrative. Remember, when we come across certain passages, they're narratives, they're telling a story. Uh, we've got characters, there's things that are happening, there's dialogue. And so let's read together chapter 14 of the book of Joshua, beginning in verse number six. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But, verse 8, my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Look in verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, 
So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the man, uh, as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country, Hebron he's speaking of, that the Lord promised me that day. Man, those are two important words, that day. You yourself heard that, that the Anakites were there and the cities were, were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Now look at the last little phrase at the end of that chapter. Then the land had rest from war. 85-year-old man, and by the way, we'll talk about it in a moment, we are able to date much of the book of Joshua because of these incredible statements. We can use the chronos, the years of Caleb's life, in order to go back and say, hey, it took 40 years, that took seven years, that took three years. And so his expressing his, his age is very valuable to us in terms of dating so many of these details and the concepts that, that, that took place. If we had time today, I would take you back to three biblical pictures in the Bible about Caleb. But we don't have time to do all that. In fact, today we are only going to have enough time to really just look at these verses and the surroundings of it. But what I want you to be able to see with me today is Caleb was one incredible man, extremely special, very unique. He was a man that seemed to always grow. One of the things, if the Lord allows us enough time to do, to, 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 you know, to do this, I, I want to I talk to you about that at some point why our expectations in the Christian life are so, East Texas, doggone low. I mean, it's an anomaly for someone that we are able to point to in our Christian lives and say, man, can you believe how much they've grown? Most people, they just phase out in the Christian life. Their commitment gets less and less and less as they go on with life. And we act like it's some supernatural deal for someone to be extremely committed and victorious late in their life. And the fact of the matter should be that we should see many people growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of spirit is possible for all of us to have. And today we're gonna look at that very important picture, Caleb. By the way, in the Hebrew language, his name means Kalav. The Hebrew word for his name, Kalav. By the way, do you know what that translates to, remember Hebrew language is conceptual. Remember Hebrew language is what? It paints a picture. For instance, if you see this little animal, meow, meow, and what makes that sound? There's always one comical character in every crowd. That's the reason I do not let you ask rhetorical quite quick questions and let you participate because there's always a fool in the group, okay? So you got this meow, you got this katool. Katul in the Hebrew language means to wrap around. All of us have seen a cat curl up and wrap around something, okay? Kalav, dog, by the way, in the Hebrew language means total heart, big heart. It wasn't like <laughs> Caleb's mom looked at me and said, man, he's as ugly as a dog. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name him Kalav. The word picture here in the Hebrew language is total heart or all heart. And that's really what Caleb was. 
He was a man, how many times did we read it, who lived wholeheartedly. What does it take to be a student over here at Forest Park or Longview High School or Spring Hill or Pine Tree or, or Longview Christian or wherever it is and live for God with your whole heart? I mean, what does it take to be a senior adult, 85, 86, 87 years of age and live your life with all heart? Caleb was a man that did so. And by the way, it's this service that I've had an individual continue. We've been dialoguing about, should you really follow a God that allows his people, millions of people, to massacre one village after another and put them to death? And it would be, I'm going to add something in my email train this week so this individuals are listening to me today. You know what's coming. You know, it's interesting in the book of Joshua, there are two people that are not Jews that God welcomes into the family of the nation of Israel with open arms. Remember back in chapter two, a lady by the name of Rahab. She followed the Lord wholeheartedly and God said, you're one of mine. And isn't it interesting, here's Caleb, one of the great heroes of the nation of Israel and he was only half Jewish. In fact, he was born to a Kenzanite, a, a if you will, a, a subsidiary of the very group of Canaanites that were being wiped out. But his father married a Jewish woman. And then his dad, of course, had Caleb. And, and, and it's interesting to me because here's someone that's not fully, at least from a birthright, Jewish. And yet God says, Caleb, you so love me and follow me you are one of mine. Our God is a great God. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, he is amazing. Grab your Bibles and look with me in verse six. I want you to see this incredible promise that's repeated over and over. God had promised Caleb something. He had promised him some land. Look in verse six. In the middle of the verse, he says, you know what the Lord said. The Lord had given his word. The Lord had promised. Go down to verse number 10 and look two different times. If, in fact, the first part of verse number 10, now then, just as the Lord promised. Do you see that? Look a little further in verse number 10. 45 years since the time he said to Moses until God said to Moses. There it is again, affirming that. Go down to verse number 12 and we see it two more times there. Now give me this hill country that God promised and look, look at the end of the verse, verse 12. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Five times in just these verses that we read, we are reminded that Caleb is promised a special land. Verse nine tells us Mo Moses had promised him this as well. But there's something different about Caleb. And that's what I wanna talk to you today about. There's something different about this cat. And I just wonder if it's possible for you and I to be able to catch that spirit? Is it, is it, are we able to acquire this? Are we able to develop this? Is it reasonable to think that God might give us this kind of spirit for him? You know, when we think about the history of the Bible, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24 said this about Caleb. Listen, but because my servant Caleb has a different Spirit, And again, that's Numbers 14, 24. It tells us that Caleb had a different spirit. King James doesn't translate it that way, another spirit. 
The NIV translates it a different spirit as well. The NAS does as well. It's a spirit that fully devoted, wholeheartedly follows God. Now again, I just ask you, is it possible for a mom to have that kind of spirit? For a student, for a pastor, for one of our deacons to have that kind of spirit? Is that something we can catch? Is it something we can see and acquire and work toward? Is it something we can continually pray for and develop? But before we can answer that, we've got to answer this. What made that spirit so unique? I hope you brought something to write with, or maybe today you're going to make some little notations in the margin of your Bible. just want to toss out three things that I think we see from the scripture that makes Caleb's spirit different. Would you jot this down? First of all, he had a unique spirit. There was something unique. Unique means not very common, not ordinary, special, set aside. And so we've selected those two words to say Caleb had a unique spirit. Look back at verse number six. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. And then notice what, what Caleb says. I, I, I was 40 years old when Moses serving the Lord sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back according a report, according to my what? According, according to my convictions. Now we fast forwarded a great segment here. We fast forwarded through about four and a half years, uh, about 27 battles. There were 31 battles total in the book of Joshua. It took a little over seven years to win those battles. We've looked at three or four of those battles. Those we've looked at explicitly. There are many more battles that, in fact, Joshua doesn't even record all the battles. It just tells us the end result. It's kind of like we're fast forwarding to that incredible thing. And we have that incredible number, 85. Caleb now in his life is 85 years of age. And of all the things that he says, he says, man, just as when I was 40, I am just as vigorous, I have just as much drive to get to that land and get it conquered and cleaned up as I did when I was 40. And you know what's so amazing to me about this passage? Not one person scripturally spoke up and said, man, that's crazy. That old codger, 85, doesn't even have his own teeth. And man, he's just a blowhard. He, he's not that kind of fierce warrior he's letting on to. Not one person scripturally speaks up and says, you, and, and, and tries to contest that. Not one single person disputes the heart of Caleb. And Caleb said, I am just as spirited, just as vigorous, just as excited. That spirit that li lives inside of me now is the same fire that burned when I was 40 years of age. Let me tell you something, even as we get older, Age should never impact our desire and commitment. Somebody put this little cutout several years ago on my desk talking about what it is to get old. And uh, I, I was just reflecting on it here a couple of weeks ago. It fell out of a folder on the floor of all things. It's talking about old age. Listen to this statement or this little poem. Old age is golden, so I've heard. But sometimes I wonder as I crawl into bed with my ears in a drawer, my teeth in a cup, my eyes on the table until I wake up, as sleep dims my vision, I say to myself, is there anything else I should lay on the shelf? 
And I know a lot of our senior adults, sometimes that's how they feel. Everything's artificial, everything's been replaced. And uh, many of our seniors don't live with the mentality of just dragging, but they live with great, victorious enthusiasm about life. Let me tell you something. Aging should never have anything to do with your commitment and your spirit. We talked about in our early service today, even an invalid can do something. Everyone at any age can contribute and do something. And what is Caleb saying? I'm not ready to lay down my spear. I'm not ready to lay down my, my sword. But I, and I'm certainly not ready to get in my, in, in my lazy boy, put my feet up, watch ESPN and instant classics all day. Caleb said, let me have my land. I'm ready. Let me have it. And can I just share with you, many of you have heard this stated, and it's so true, you never retire from Christian service. Now, there's a retirement from professional service, career service, but you never retire from Christian service. I'm going to tell you something. That's a mark of a very unique spirit. I want you to jot this second characteristic down. Can we have this? Absolutely. Can we acquire it? Can we develop it? Absolutely. Number two, we see that he has a fortified vision. A fortified vision. Now, I carefully selected the word fortified. I did so because the word fortified, when you look it up in the dictionary, means to be firm, to be uh, not easily swayed, to not be easily controlled. If there's anything we could say about Caleb, in fact, we used the word conviction a while ago when we were reading. Caleb says, I came and I stood on what God had laid on my heart, what I was convicted to say in our report of the 12 spies. He had strong conviction. His vision was fortified. In fact, we could say that no one's going to reshape his, his thoughts. No one's going to recreate or remake or reform or redirect. He had a vision that God had given him, and he stuck to it. Look back in verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised. He promised me that day. You yourself heard that, in the, uh, that, that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Now, where was that location? Hebron, the special hill. Not, not just anywhere, but such an incredible location. This is where Abraham laid up under the oaks at Mamre. This is where his wife Sarah, when she died, their child was born there. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah died there. And, and uh, Abraham went and bought that cave at Machpelah. And then later Abraham died and he was buried there. Think about this. Jacob was buried there. And, and Isaac was buried there. And Rebekah was, 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 was buried there. It wasn't just any place, but it was a strategic, very strategically a place of importance. And he said, I desire that hill, that country, Hebron, that's the land that I've been given. Now, of all things, I mentioned a moment ago when we were reading our text initially, these two words, that day. Do you see that in the text at the end of verse 12 or in the middle of verse 12? That day. What day was that? Old Caleb is reminding Joshua 
Remember, they were together in the 12, group of 12 spies that originally went in and came back and gave such a disheartening report. 10 of those uh, spies said, there's no way we can take the land. But two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. With God with us, we can take the land. But one by one, as those 10 other spies testified, the Bible says that their words melted the heart of those people around them. In fact, listen to what those 10 spies said. I just remind you, if you want to turn there, you certainly can. Numbers chapter 13, and I'll begin reading at verse 28. What is this? The report that the 10 dissenting spies gave about not going into the promised land initially. Relive and listen to their words. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live there in that Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they all live in the hill country. And the Canaanites, they all live around the sea and along the Jordan. Listen to the end of that report in Numbers 13, verses 31 and 32. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report translations there, some of them say a wicked report, an evil report, a bad report, a rebellious report, any of those words would fit about the land that they had explored. In fact, they went on to say that land, it devours the very people living in it. Now we know that can't be true because if a land devoured the people living in it, no one would be, y'all are sharp today, my gifted and talented group. If a land devoured everyone that lived in it, then, then no one would. I know you're ready for lunch, but I'm excited that 60% of you are there. You know, we were talking this morning. <laughs> People at Oakland Heights have stopped coming up to me. It, 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 it took about two years here. People would come up all the time and transition and change and they would say something about, well, pastor, we just want you to know, everybody's mad. Everybody in the whole church is mad. And every time someone came and told me that, I would say, hey, as your pastor, I'm not disputing what you're saying. Maybe all 963 members are mad. But what we're gonna do is sit down, wait just a second, let me get my notepad. Something right with, I want you to give me the names of everyone that you know personally is mad. And so I would just sit down with them. That's okay. Number one, just go ahead and give them to me. I'm just going to jot them down. And then I'm going to go visit with them and just authenticate that they're really mad. You know what? After a couple of years, I've not had a single person come up to me and make the, the statement, everybody, a lot of people, a huge group of people. All of that stuff stopped. Let me tell you something. As followers, we always seem to overstate and blow things way out of proportion. Way out of proportion. And again, those 10 spies, what did they say? Oh, there's giants in the land. And by the way, the land is so wretched, it gobbles up and eats people that live there. Really? When did you witness that? Somebody should have had them take out a notepad of all things. What really happened is those 10 men stopped walking by faith. 
their commitment began to lag behind for the Lord. In fact, look back in chapter 14 at verse eight. I want you to look at that phrase. In fact, Caleb said, Joshua, you remember that day, don't you? You and I out there fighting the world, telling everybody that we can do this. And he said, but you, you, know, you know, Joshua, what I remember? I remember that day. And verse eight says, you remember the day. One by one, they begin to share. And here's how it's stated. And they melted the hearts of people. Little by little. Inch by inch. One after another. They finally began to take any momentum. They ripped and robbed any amount of hope. They completely incinerated any desire and drive for enthusiasm for the people of God to take the land that God had brought them to and promised them. And you know, I know there's two things going on here today. And I know in this room, I'm not speaking to as many as I did in the first service. But this morning, I'm speaking to two groups of people, all of us in the track of you and I are writing down the characteristics of what made Caleb so special. That speaks to every student, every man, every woman. But I also want to speak to the men that are here, especially some of our median and older men that are here. Let me tell you something, guys. Age, it tells us how long we've been on the road, but it doesn't tell us how far we've gotten. And Titus chapter 2 tells us that the responsibility of men in any New Testament church is to help the church advance and reach the goals and the mission that God has put for us. And our men have got to be able to step up and do that. Our older men, known as the men of God, they should be the ones that are helping move our church forward. And hey, let me tell you something. Our older men in our church have great influence, and that's the way it should be if it's godly influence. And our young men, you're wise to listen so many times because our older men can inspire us or they can melt our heart with fear. And my friends, this is a huge responsibility. In fact, the whole next generation depends right now on just a few men in our churches, in our world today, being willing to step up and live and lead. Had a little political side note the other day at a restaurant here in town, which I hate getting embroiled in. In fact, I made my mind up when this guy engaged me. I'm not going to fall for this. And 42 minutes later, I fell for it. But he wanted to tell me what was wrong with one political party and got into all this. And I listened to all that garbage for about 35 minutes and finally I just said this. Hey, the bottom line is this. America has pretty much abandoned God and what we're founded on in simple terms. And number two, the great committed people are not running for political office anymore. The great ones won't run. The men and women that we need in office say, hey, we're not going to put ourselves out there. That speculation, all of that searching of every little thing we've ever done in our past, the wear and tear on our families, it costs too much money to run, and we're just not willing to serve. But let me tell you something. Another factor right in behind that is a group of wise men in our churches, in our communities, and in our world today that have got to step up. 
Nothing should cause a church to be fearful. You know what I loved about this statement in verse 12? I know y'all probably don't get into it very much, but there's a Hebrew preposition that's really hard for us to interpret. In fact, if you look back in verse 12, do do you see at the end of verse 12 where it says in the NIV, but the Lord helping me, do you, see, do you see those four or five little English words? Really, when you go back and translate that out of the, out of the, the uh, very Hebrew language, it's very difficult for us to translate that. In fact, most interpreters come up with all different kinds of things. Some say, perhaps God will help me. Some say, it will, it will be or it may be. The NIV says, but the Lord helping me, kind of as in a question mark there, as in with the Lord helping me, this, this, this could happen. Caleb understands something very important. Behind his vision is an understanding of something very significant. It's not what a few people can do. It's not what a lot of people can do. But it's all about his God Almighty being in the middle of that. And so we see this incredible, incredible vision. Jot this third thing down and we're done. A third characteristic, go down to verse 13 we see this incredible steadfast devotion. A steadfast devotion. I don't know if you're taking notes, but if you are, you might just want to write down Judges. Yeah, did you get that right? Not Joshua, but Judges 120. Because it, not until Judges 120 that we're able to see kind of the aftermath of what Caleb does. He not only gets this land, but he goes and puts the whomp on three different giants himself. We think they're Analekites. They're from Anak. By the way, that is the smallest of the three giant groups. We know the, the, the uh, Nephaltes, the Nephims, if you will. They get up to 15 feet tall. But these baby giants are 10 to 11 feet tall. That it says this 85-year-old man whipped three of them. Now, put that in perspective. That's two feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Think about that for a moment. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wrestle with Shaquille O'Neal. But think about someone two feet taller than he is. And so the Bible tells us, look in verse 13 and 14, then then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron. He gave him his land, his inheritance. And so he, he... Everything, he went and he conquered it. Look in verse 14. It's, it's belonged to his ancestors and his people. We see something about Caleb. We see, man, this dude had uncanny devotion. He had steadfast devotion. Over in chapter 13, verse 1, we see Caleb's frustration that months and even years after all of the tribes have been divided up, We see Caleb lashing out at the people that did not even go immediately and and take the land that they had been given. This tribe, like Manasseh, hung out down there around Gilgal, always coming back to the comfort and complacency of Gilgal. A number of the tribes didn't even care enough to rush out to their land. And hey, there was what we call a little uh, police action that was needed. All the big cities, all the kings, all of the major 
confrontation was over with. All 31, 30, 30, 31 battles or so that have taken place. But now there's police action needed. There's still a few criminals. There's, there's, there's few, a few destitute groups that are hanging around. Just like Caleb had some giants in the particular area that he had to conquer. And he took care of that. But he was so frustrated. In fact, in, in, uh, in, 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 in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3... He, we see a list of those people that, 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 that have been hanging around there. But this one man, we see something special about his devotion. I, I want to just toss out these three things to you as we walk out of here. Well, sing some more. What's so amazing about Caleb's devotion to me, number one, is he had this devotion under pressure. Some of you may not remember but when the 12 original spies stood before, in front of Moses and the whole nation and these two guys began to hold to the plow, they began to stand steadfast with their devotion. This, hey, we can take this land. All of a sudden, Numbers chapter 14 tells us many of the people in the nation began to rise up and they were going to kill Joshua and Caleb. And Numbers 14 tells us that God began to show, quote, show his glory, his glory shone. God manifests such glory that it distracted and detracted many of these killers from killing two of the men that were actually going to lead the whole nation of Israel into the promised land eventually. And you know, as I look around, one of the things that we are sorely missing are students, men, women, leaders that will stand on conviction no matter what the pressure may be coming against them. That takes courage. That takes true, steadfast devotion. And the first thing I would share with you is so amazing about Caleb is, man, his incredible devotion he would manifest that even under pressure. I wonder if there's any men like that. I wonder if there's any men like Paul when Paul said in Romans 3, 4, let the whole world be called a liar, but my God is true. I sat down in a room two weeks ago with four individuals as a part of just a a starting point for discussion about a very difficult subject. It is, no doubt, the driving subject in evangelical churches today. How do we handle those that are homosexual? As we sat there and we discussed ideas and we tossed ideas, the group was wavering about one thing from the Bible. And that is what the Bible says about homosexual actions. That act of having sex, intercourse, relations, a relationship with a member of the same sex. And for just a few moments there, as I was listening to this group, I thought, hey, now exactly where is this going? 
I thought we were here to discuss something completely different, and that is how does a church embrace those in that lifestyle? And our church family, quite simply, I've had discussions with several of you in this room about that. We love every single person. There's not one of us in here that are in here free of sin. That happens to be the, one of the sins that these individuals are embroiled in. But not one of us, we're a hospital for sinners. But one thing that we had to make very clear in that room is there's no question about what God's word says about this being right or wrong. Now, some churches are feeling the pressure of saying, well, maybe John laid his head on Jesus' bosom and maybe Jesus was gay. I have a Hebrew word for that, bull hockey. Well, Jesus wasn't married. Maybe, maybe he was a homosexual. Really? Really? Well, maybe there were big giants in the land and the land was gobbling people up. Let me tell you something. We live in a day and time that if you're going to have steadfast devotion, the real test of it's going to be under pressure. When the whole world says this, and you're willing to say, the whole world's a liar, and my God is true. Let me tell you something else about his faith that I walk away from, and that's the word wandered. Here's a guy that wandered because of others' mistakes. Now, you want me to tell you why that's so significant? It's so significant because I can only speak to Baptist churches. Hey, that, that's such a big deal in our Baptist churches today. We have people in our churches today, they get their feelings hurt, they get their lip pooched out, they don't get things their way, they sull up, they pout, they leave, or, or even worse, they entrench and try to spoil the whole barrel of everybody else. Can you imagine? Here's a man with incredible devotion, listen to me. For 38 years, that son of a gun named Caleb dug graves. 38 years he had to wander because of those 10 spies that said, we can't go in. We can't do it. The giants are too big. 38 years he thought about the land that he could have been living on. Hey, I could have had a porch swing. I could have had some cows. I could, man, I could be living on my land. But, but you know what Caleb never did? The Bible never speaks of any bitterness. Caleb was a man that wandered because of the mistakes of others and seemingly never entrenched in bitterness or frustration. He just stayed the course. And what I would tell you is that is not the norm. And the third thing I'll tell you about this steadfast devotion, he did this all under the leadership of another. This is amazing to me. Caleb could have been a great leader of the nation himself, but he wasn't 100% Jew. He could have been a great leader in and of his own authority and his own experiences and own courage, but yet he always served under another, under Moses for a period of time, and now under Joshua of all people. And yet Caleb was willing to, 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 to literally put himself under that authority. 
The Bible tells us he came to who? Of all people, a co-worker years before who had been promoted through the ranks ahead of him now, a guy by the name of Joshua. And the Bible says he goes to Joshua and he asks. Joshua, will you give me the land that God has promised me, that Moses has promised me? Would you be willing to give me that land? I love the character of Caleb. Caleb has so many lessons for our lives. But the biggest takeaway of all on Caleb is how he followed the Lord. In fact, you look at verse 8, 9, and 14 out of this 14th chapter. They're quite amazing. Verse 8 out of chapter 14 says, Caleb said, I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Caleb acknowledges that he follows the Lord. Then you get to verse number 9. Moses acknowledged that Caleb followed the Lord with all his heart. And then you get down there to verse 14 of what really matters. And that is God said, Caleb, my servant, he's followed me with all of his heart. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for just a moment this morning. Whatever you're doing there, just put it aside. And I just wonder today, are you living your life wholeheartedly for the Lord? Are you hit and miss on your small group connection? You know how important that is. That goes all the way back to Acts 2. That's not a Baptist thing. That's not an evangelical thing. That is God's word thing. You need a small group in your local testament, New Testament body of Christ, where you connect with other believers. You need to be honoring that commitment faithfully. And with head bowed, eyes closed today, I'm just going to pray for us in just a moment. And I just wonder, secondly, how faithful are you in worshiping with other believers? All the way back to Acts 2. If you're a student that's here today, are you faithful to be where you need to be day in and day out, Lord's Day, in and out? Or has compromise set forth in your life where you always find some kind of out not to be there? The commitment's gone lacking. I wonder thirdly, if you are wholeheartedly giving of your time and your talents and everything God has given you. I mean really sold out. Are you as committed to your worship of God as you are to your job? I wonder how long some of you would be employed if you had the same attendance record in your worship as you do in your work. Where are you morally? Are you wholeheartedly following the Lord in the very morals and foundation of doing things that are right, even when no one's looking. I'm telling you, man, there's three incredible statements. When a man of God says, man, I follow the Lord wholeheartedly. When the leader of a whole nation says, that man, Caleb, 
man, he follows the Lord wholeheartedly. But most importantly, when God says, wow, you really love me and you follow me wholeheartedly, don't you? So today, for a student that's here, that was what we should all be seeking, wholeheartedly following the Lord. For a mom that's here in her marriage, in her parenting, in her life, in her friendships, that should be where we are right, right now. God, really nothing else matters except my devotion and following you wholeheartedly. And man, for our guys, even when we're not in charge and it hurts our ego, when just another coworker gets promoted, when someone passes over us, how we handle that. In those moments, in the challenging moments, can we look around over the coming weeks and days and months and years after that and say, wow, wholeheartedly still serving. Nothing has allowed him to waver. I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray especially for the senior men in our church. That God would rise up. He would raise some men out of our fellowship to say, we are going to be the Caleb's. Father, we thank you for these moments that we've had in worship today. And as we continue to do so, through music, Father, I pray that you would take your word and allow us just to gestate on that. That long after we get in our cars and move to wherever the next location is for our lives, that you allow us to circle back around and remember an old 85-year-old man that said, just give me my hill. I've waited, I've been patient. And I know there's work left to be done. And at 85, many of those that I've walked with are no longer even walking on planet Earth. But for me, it's not time to lay my shield down. I will not surrender my sword. But there's still land to conquer, places to go, people to help in the kingdom of God. So, Father, if it's possible, would you create that unique spirit, that vision, and that devotion in our lives that is so necessary to overcome the challenges of the world that we live in? These things we pray in Jesus' name.